0: This is Age of Treason Radio, with your host, Tan Stoffel. Intersectional Jewing. I've been thinking for a while about this topic and writing quite a bit about it, and I thought I'd gather my thoughts and put them together to describe what it is I mean by intersectional Jewing. I've used the phrase a couple of times now in several blog posts, and it deserves a a deeper explanation. I see it as a logical progression from what started with the Jew victim narrative, which has a very long history. It is history uh, as most people know it. Today, this uh, Jew version of history, the blood libel that they talk about, their ritual murder, uh, the propensity for ritual murder of, of Europeans among uh, or any host that they live among, uh, but also they talk about pogroms and expulsions and finally the, uh, the Holocaust that um, it all culminated in. And this has, as I say, this has a very long history, it is history, it's sort of the backdrop for everything else, but arising out of that, about a hundred years ago, came this Jew-defined, Jew-driven anti-racism that came out of Boazian anthropology. It probably goes back farther than that, but it really gelled with Boaz, and In retrospect, Boaz himself is seen by today's standards, by today's anti-racist standards, as a racist. Because he didn't deny that race exists, he just tried to describe it as insignificant, as very plastic, as something that wasn't uh, burned so firmly into our genes. And the understanding of genetics at that time wasn't very good anyway. But... That's where anti-racism, uh, in a, in a long blog post, uh, in the past, I, I traced, uh, anti-racism back to that as a starting point. That was before the National Socialists came to power in Germany. But, um a lot has happened, of course, since Boaz. And, among other things, one of the developments has been what's called identity politics. And a lot of people don't really seem to understand what identity politics is they think that for instance whites can participate in identity politics it's kind of a a fundamental misunderstanding of what that term means it's it's it reminds me a lot of the the phrase reverse racism when people use the term reverse racism they're not thinking very clearly they they uh, and they argue about it sometimes with other people who don't understand it very clearly baked into the definition of racism is that it is a white thing, that only whites can be racist. That's part of what the Jews have uh, created in that word. Uh, likewise with identity politics, what does that mean? It's It doesn't mean everyone has an identity and everyone diverse, you know, is uh, pitted against everyone else. Identity politics is specifically People of color versus whites. The people of color, and that means basically non-whites, it's just a euphemism for non-white, are lectured and uh, informed, indoctrinated that white supremacism and white privilege and uh, basically that whites are, are evil and the enemy. That has now developed into something called intersectionality and this is where we come to today's topic this is uh because it's a coalition identity politics of of many groups against whites naturally the different elements of that coalition squabble and and uh uh compete with each other for rank and and uh, a hierarchy uh, develops. And one example of this, and when it first came to my attention, what was going on uh, in this regard was uh, Occupy Wall Street several years ago, and what they called the progressive stack, which was this idea that uh, among the various groups that were playing identity politics, the, the victim groups, uh, that some victims were more victim than others, and that they got to speak first when it came time to line up and, and decide who was going to to uh, speak in front of a group. It was pr- uh, priority, privilege, was given to the supposedly less privileged or the greater victims. So that's the progressive stack. And, and today this is basically, this basic idea is called intersectionality. It's the... Um, the ranking, the victim hierarchy within identity politics. So the point I'd like to make about this introduction, everything I've just said, is that this is a Jew-driven construct. Anti-racism is a Jew construct. Identity politics is a Jew construct. Intersectionality is a Jew construct with Jews on top of the victim hierarchy. They are the template for all of the other victim groups, their story, their, their verbiage, their logic, all of that stuff was created by Jews and it's been taught to these other groups and for use against whites. Jews are the first ones who used it against whites and it was such a success that they've extended that gift. They've given that weapon to other groups now as well some of the key words that you see in in this kind of, um, it's also called critical theory, Frankfurt school, cultural Marxism. These things are all related and crisscross overlap keywords that you can see in the old days. It used to be majority minority. They made the distinction between majorities, uh, the majority culture. And it was a euphemism for white people and white culture, uh, and minority meaning non-whites, people of color, um, But today, that's more likely to be described as dominant versus marginalized, Uh, the dominant group versus the marginalized groups. Uh, Other key words that you'll see are oppression, Uh, the the oppressors versus the oppressed, and uh, that victim hierarchy turns out to be you know who's who's been most oppressed by whitey. Appropriation is another term that you'll see, that uh, cultural appropriation, the accusation that whites are somehow stealing uh, culture uh, innovations uh, from non-whites. It's an inversion of reality. That uh, This is one of the things that non-whites like to say when they're uh, in a university, which is a thing that whites created hundreds of years ago. And they know that they don't belong there. They know their own people could never build such a thing, could never dream up such a thing, much less build it. And uh one of the ways they make sense of that, somebody has to be to blame for that, and of course it's Whitey's fault. So that comes out as cultural appropriation, the accusation against Whites. But intersectional Jewing, back to intersectional Jewing, what I noticed is that basically... What it is in a nutshell is is the Jews Jew. They they do what Jews do. They defraud and and lie and um, do their jewing, and it harms other people. It harms white people uh, for the last two thousand years or so, and ultimately it ends up blowing back in in some small part. Jews themselves, and that's what I call intersectional Jewing, because the reaction that Jews have to that is, of course, they don't put up with it. They don't just take it and say, oh, well, you know, that's the way the uh, cookie crumbles. You know, we created this system and so we got to live with it just like everybody else. No, their first reaction is to push back against it. And they push back against it in a very dishonest way, of course. They don't say, hey, we're Jews, we created this system, and so we're exempt from it. That would make... uh, the game a little too obvious so instead what you see is all sorts of dancing around the fact that it was jews that created the system they'll attribute it to something else anything but jews i mean that's part of the idea here is that the jews in jewing are looking to blame other people for whatever harm is created by their jewing but especially when it comes to any harm that might redound onto them they want to f- stop it, they want to put an end to it, but they have to explain it in some way. They have to do-splain why the system has to be the way it is for everybody else, but not for the Jews. And that's difficult sometimes, because other uh people question that. They don't understand because the, what the principle is, because there is no principle beyond whatever's best for the Jews. And, uh, of course, the Jews can't be so blunt about stating that. So it's it's basically reactionary Jewing. Uh, intersectional Jewing is Jews reacting to Jewing with more Jewing. They Jew harder to carve out exceptions for their own Jewing so that it can continue. What I noticed especially, and, and this is where it, Really came to my attention as intersectional Jewing was that it was a, and I think this is the primary, the primary form of it or the primary cause of it, at least most of the examples that I've been able to think of here and that I'll talk about, is that it's a clash of Jew narratives. That a lot of what Jews do is they create narratives. They, they create words, ways of understanding things ways of explaining things. doesn't necessarily correspond to reality. It has to kind of describe what's going on. But most of the time, it's a distortion of reality. It's a, sometimes it's a total inversion of reality. In this case, the clash of the Jew narratives are the first narrative being that Jews are white. The, the, that narrative is what they used to infiltrate white society in the first place. When there were no other minorities, certainly no visible minorities, not given any sort of power in our societies they they were not a lot even Jews at one time were in various ways limited socially and politically uh from various positions, although I think that that's a bit overblown that's uh you fall a little bit into the trap of seeing history from the point of view of the Jews if you talk about how oppressed the Jews were at some time in the past that they couldn't do this or they couldn't do that. I think that that's a misrepresentation. The the reality is, is that Jews throughout history have had special privileges. They've always been able to convince the leadership of all the various places where they've lived to first of all let them in and then second of all give them special privileges. And those privileges take a lot of different forms. But um, for one thing, protecting them from the populace, which the native uh, or the natural instinctive reaction to an alien people moving in next door to you is to resent it and to try and uh, push them back out again. Uh, and that's happened many times, but uh, usually because the Jews had some sort of an in with the leadership of the country had already infiltrated the leadership. Uh, they were able to leverage that to to uh have the military or the police whatever the uh, the king 's men uh defend them so that 's the first narrative is that the idea that Jews are white and you can plug in German or French or Italian or you know whatever the nationality is if you want to be more specific about a time and a place in in the past um, but this is something that prevails even to this day. And a hundred years ago, as I said, when anti-racism uh, first cropped up and, and became a, a very strong and obvious force in our society, it was an entirely white society. And supposedly Jews were white. And they were lecturing us about the evils of racism, uh, discriminating against other people based on race, as white people, as fellow white people what that is clashing with now is a a more recent development it's recent and it's also old it's most people don't see it this way but it's it's the what i was talking about the jewish version of history the idea that whites are evil there's a there's a double think going on here that jews are white but also that white people are evil and that if you just listen to the jewish version of history listen to a jew List off the litany of white sins sometimes uh, about how uh the blood libel and pogroms and holocaust and beyond that the colonization uh, and and ethnic cleansing of other peoples this is Jews telling history and they paint whites as the bad guy uh, paint whites as evil both for themselves and and toward other people. A lot of that is just whitewashing their own history the fact that Jews are long-term slavers and more than participated in uh slavery for instance uh actually owned slave ships and so forth other people have uh i think done a good job of exposing that but most people don't understand that and um anyway uh, they also don't understand or are afraid to confront the reality that when they when a Jew is constantly or, or is lecturing about the Holocaust that uh what they're basically saying is that white people are evil. Just listen uh, closely to them when they're going on a rant about it sometime. Well, it doesn't take much to add these two narratives together and see the clash the If Jews are white and whites are evil, well then that means Jews are evil too just like other white people, and that the same things that you accuse whites of doing, colonialism and ethnic cleansing and so forth, well, that's going on right now in modern-day Israel, where the Jews run the show. And so that's what people are doing in various times and places and de- different forms. They say it's okay to criticize the Jews, because after all, the Jews are white. And in fact, the criticism of white people has become so toxic, so overt that it is now starting to splash over more and more onto Jews because they continue to pose as if they're white. But what we see, the, the Jewish reaction to that in a nutshell is they cry and screech about anti-Semitism. And because anti-Semitism is actually now codified in lots of countries' laws, that anti-Semitism is hate and hate is illegal, there are punishments for it, very real punishments. And that's part of the benefits, part of the privilege of being at the top of the victim hierarchy is that they've used their uh, power to get these laws passed in all of these different countries. These, You could say that the the white people who run those countries, if you want to uh, fantasize that whites still run those countries, just pass those laws out of the goodness of their heart but that's not uh, the reality the reality is is that those the, the jews basically have the power to have laws passed that favor them you know how exactly what the details are what the history is is probably uh slightly different in every country but um you can see it's it's still happening uh today you can see the debate going on about whether um uh, criticism of Israel is, uh, is anti-Semitism and whether anti-Semitism should be, uh, considered hate here in, uh, or whether criticism of Israel should be banned in the United States. Um so basically this intersectional Jewing, a lot of what it is, is it's a clash of these Jew narratives that, that the idea that Jews are white, that whites are evil, and so therefore the naive Goy would think Well, I can criticize Jews just like I criticize white people, because they're white. But there's another element to it as well that I see, which is the clash of the Jew narrative about race, the anti-racist narrative, that race isn't real, race is a social construct, it's not genetic or biological, and the ongoing science that is uncovering, actually, the biological roots of race and contradicting the Jew narrative. And this is primarily the science that's making uh, various uh, discoveries in uh, having to do with DNA, and especially um, ancient DNA, and uh, but also even the, the DNA of, of um, modern uh, peoples. And I'll, I'll talk more about that maybe in another uh, podcast, what the specifics are there. The incident that really brought this intersectional Jewing to my attention that made me see the connection to, um among the various aspects of it. It was like, it's almost like the elephant uh, parable where I had been feeling the trunk and the legs of, of, and the tail of the elephant and thinking these were all separate stories. But it was the evergreen Brett Weinstein incident, uh, that, that made me make the connection. And, uh, let me explain in more detail. Brett Weinstein is a, a Jew biology is evolutionary biologist at uh, Evergreen uh, University um, somewhere in the Northwest U S and there's been this day of absence going on. It's typical identity politics. It's been going on for decades at that school. And what it is is the uh, non-whites started out as just blacks, but of course as the others all became people of color against whites Um they would, uh, grandstand for a day to demonstrate their allegiance to each other or whatever their, their power as a group against whites and would leave campus just to, uh, go have a day of, uh, feeling sorry for themselves and talking about how victimized they were and how powerless, uh, they were and, and how whites were evil. But this year was different. This year they planned to in a roundabout passive aggressive way tell whites that you're not allowed to show up on campus this year if you're an ally if you if you um, sympathize with our oppression and you want to show that you're not an oppressor you're not a racist then on that day of absence you shouldn't show up on campus and weinstein pushed back against that because he realized that he was seen as white because of the color of his skin, and then after the Jews have been lecturing us for decades that racist goes no deeper than the color of the skin, it's insignificant. Uh This is what's happened: that, that Jew professors are seen as white and called white, and he didn't want to be forced not to show up. He, uh, to make a long story short, you know, it's he's an anti-racist. He's on their side with the the non whites but he doesn't like taking orders from them he doesn't like being bossed around by them this is this has to do with the the victim hierarchy. Jews are on top Jews are the ones giving the orders and when the non whites other than Jews start giving orders, and that 's what seems to have happened at at evergreen these um uh, niggers basically I think uh in charge of the uh, the local group there, uh, started barking orders at the Jews, and this is what has caused uh, Weinstein, Weinstein to uh, to push back at Evergreen. Uh, it was actually his brother on Twitter who tweeted something that specifically called my attention to intersectionalism, and. Uh, that was a tweet that said something about uh, i will not pay the intersectional protection racketeers and it occurred to me then that you know uh, uh, you know here's this uh jew talking about uh you know describing what's going on as if um as if jews had nothing to do with this as if it's somebody else doing this to the jews and uh using the word intersectional which I had been only peripherally aware of up until that point. So I went and looked into it a little bit more and that's when it clicked and I realized, boy, this is not just this situation where a Jew is being uh, slightly impacted by decades of previous Jewing, uh, and screeching, uh, and, and point painting himself as a victim. Uh, but it also explains a lot of other similar Things that I've dealt with recently, and also stretching back into the past, things that I had uh, looked at and talked about previously. One of the examples that I um, could think of right away, even even uh, as I first realized it, was Ezra Levant. This is the Rebel Media, the Jew who runs Rebel Media up in Canada. Um, I first heard about him. I don't know five six years ago maybe it was even longer than that he was a, a champion of free speech in Canada what was he doing well it turns out that decades ago uh, I think it was in the 60s early 70s uh, organized jury up in Canada had managed to convince the Canadian legislature to outlaw hate speech and of course Jews defining what hate speech is organized jury gets to define that and and they did that well I think sometime in the 1990s, uh it started to become obvious to them that they wouldn't be able to criticize Muslims that were increasingly coming to Canada under these hate speech laws. And so Ezra Levant was uh the primary Jew who basically took the lead in, in challenging that legally and succeeded in carving out what the Jews needed, the space that they needed to be able to say what they want. Everybody else, of course, is still being prosecuted under these uh, hate speech restrictions, but uh, Jews like Ezra Levant get to to say uh, what they want. And this is a good example of what I'm talking about, this intersectional Jewing. A word that I've seen, that I've noticed, that comes up, in these situations of intersectional Jewing is nuance. I, Weinstein himself used it in a long interview where he was um, basically complaining about how, you know, he was trying to explain without explaining it that uh, I'm a Jew. I'm on top of the victim hierarchy. I should be giving the orders here. Jews created this system. And uh, to see us be accused of being racist is just ridiculous. It's, uh, you know, uh so he was using the the word nuance to describe himself, that he, you know, his own dancing around this whole issue of not being able to say it, not being able to plainly state it like that. And then I noticed um, another a Jew student of his in some more recent video used the term as well. For in the same context. And then I noticed uh, uh, Diana Fleischman, an evolutionary psychologist, in an interview that she was giving with some uh, leftist who uh, had to be convinced that she wasn't a racist, uh, that she wasn't a white supremacist and so forth. She sent various signals, including talking about Jews. The conversation was about um, human biodiversity primarily um, recent developments in this what i uh, mentioned earlier the the fact that white science continues to grind on and reveal the reality of racial differences and, and more uh, and that this is contradicting the uh, jew narr- anti-racist narrative um, and so she is one of the jews that's embroiled in this and and uh, basically trying to make sure that this doesn't somehow backlash Onto Jews, and so she describes herself and her situation and the frustration she feels when she tries to basically deal with the accusations that she's a racist. She uses the word nuance, so it's just a like those other key words that I mentioned: the uh, oppression and appropriation and marginalized and so forth. That that you hear from the the original Jewing side of it, when you hear the word nuance, you're hearing the the counter Jewing. To the original Jewing, you're hearing the the intersectional Jewing. I thought a little harder about it, and I realized that uh, years ago, uh, in fact, when I was first waking up to the Jew problem, um, it was in interacting with a Jew named La- Lawrence Oster that uh, helped wake me up. And he was himself basically an intersectional Jew. He he was. um uh, how can I describe it? I, 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 rather than try to describe what he was and what he does, I've, I've written so much about him. I'll just link a couple of things in the post for this uh, podcast. But uh, basically, it, it all came down to a point of, um, he had this favorite way of describing his philosophy and, and his major realization. He called it Auster's first law. It was his first law of majority-minority relations in liberal society, right? So he used to describe all of the problems of society as being caused by liberalism and liberals. And it was very simplistic. Basically, if anything happened during the day, some news item came up, he would write some long blog post about it uh, describing how it was really liberalism that was to blame. I mean, it was cartoonish. But he would split hairs and and uh make the distinction between left liberalism and right liberalism and it was just nonsensical what i finally ended up realizing was uh his law which basically was this idea that the worse a marginalized group or the worse a group behaves the better liberals have to treat them that this explains how our society works that our government treats blacks with such deference because they behave so badly. And he applied it to Muslims as well uh, to explain why these alien, violent Muslims were being allowed into our countries. And then once they were in our countries, being given uh, government funding and and uh, special deference by the media and so forth. It was ridiculous. In retrospect, knowing what I know today, I... Can't believe that that even flew, but at the time it sounded actually uh stronger than anything that you could hear from Rush Limbaugh. It was stronger than anything you'd hear from Sean Hannity or any of the other conservative uh pundits in the mainstream media. Uh, Oster was out there doing his intersectional jewing uh on the boundaries, uh, sort of anticipating that people were not going to be happy with the Jewing that was going on, this this anti-white regime that was becoming more and more obvious. And so he was looking for ways to explain it away, to blame it on liberalism, for instance. And what happened was, finally, when it came to a point, was I realized that his stupid first law applies most of all to Jews. Basically, I realized that it's Jews at the top of this victim hierarchy i didn't uh, understand it the same way i understand it today but i that's basically what it comes down to is that it's you know this who behaves worst of all and is treated best of all are the jews and of course he flipped out uh once i pointed that out it it, it was as if he hadn't thought of that himself but uh again in retrospect i don't think it's cuz he didn't think of it himself it's just he thought that that was unspeakable and you know, i've noticed a lot of um Jews like this that are on the boundaries basically trying to provide explanations for what's wrong with the world in a way that it doesn't have to do with the Jews, uh, that they describe very well the symptoms of what's going on. And a lot of it fits the Jews better than whatever group they happen to be describing at the time. But it's like they have either a mental block or they trust that, other people are not allowed to point it out, because that would be anti-Semitism, and they know that anti-Semitism is basically, uh, it's stronger than racism. You know, accusing somebody of racism famously will shut them up, but if you accuse them of anti-Semitism, even people who wouldn't be shut up by racism will be shut up, uh, for the most part. It, that's less true maybe today than it was back then in, in uh, years ago when I was, uh, learning these lessons in interacting with Oster. Uh, A few years ago, I remember uh, I did a series of podcasts focused on liberalism. What is liberalism? After I had shaken off Oster's bullshit, uh, several years later I thought, well, let me go revisit what liberalism really is. I mean, what are the roots of it? And try to understand all the different elements of it. One of the uh, focused podcasts I did on it was uh, about liberalism as a suicide pact because I had noticed that this phrase that liberalism is not a suicide factor the constitution, which is sort of the founding document of, uh, the most famous, uh, document of liberalism. It is a common phrase. And I traced it back to just in the wake of world war two and a Supreme court decision. that was, um, Robert Jackson was one of the justices on the court at the time. He had been, uh, Head justice or lead, uh, prosecutor, uh, uh, on the Nuremberg, uh, at, uh, trials, uh, in the wake of World War II. And he was outraged by this, uh, decision. He was actually in the dissenting minority, uh, of a case called Termin Yellow, which had to do with a, um, a priest who had given a speech in Chicago, I think it was, and uh violence the Jews outside had agitated blacks uh to uh break windows and so forth and uh, he had given a a very mildly anti-jewish uh speech so i'll link that as well you could see it it's there's really it's very weak tea but what happened with the decision was um in his dissent uh, again you know basically upholding the fact that uh Termin yellow should have had the right to uh speak and shouldn't have to pay damages to the city of Chicago for, for the damage that was done. Jackson said, uh, he made the argument that uh, basically liberalism's tenets shouldn't be followed so strictly that it threatens the Jews. That's my um, interpretation of, of what he meant when he said you know, liberalism is not a suicide pact. Because it wasn't about the so- our society being uh threatened by it it was about the jews being threatened by speech that was critical of of the jews for what they were doing to our society i mean that's the the uh outrageous thing about it is if there was any threat to our society it was Terman yellow was pointing it out that it was uh the jews had a lot to do with it and uh, were behind it and uh jackson's position on it was that oh no the jews are the ones who are threatened when you and this is typical of uh Jews, when they screech about anti-Semitism, if you criticize the Jews for causing harm, the Jews aren't treated like criminals. You're treated like a criminal. You're treated like a hater, an anti-Semite, a racist who wants to gas all the Jews. Uh, and you're the one who is uh, prosecuted and persecuted for speaking out like that. This saying about uh, liberalism is not a suicide pact is interesting That was decades ago. Today, people like to say that liberalism is a suicide pact, that it's suicidal, that the suicide of the West, that the suicide of of Europe is due to liberalism, because liberalism is suicidal. And um, that's why it's interesting to trace the the roots back that it has to do with the Jews, and it it really is intersectional Jewing. Again, the Jews created and, and watered this plant, that grew into what is today called liberalism this this idea that white people basically have are responsible to create a society which is safe for everyone but ourselves it, that's one way I would describe the contemporary uh, zeitgeist what what um, auster's first law was supposed to be about well, who is on top of that it's the Jews. That didn't happen by accident, they had an act, they played an active role in putting themselves there, and when it's challenged, you can see that it's Jews who come out of the woodwork to do something about it to to fight back against it um, and oftentimes, like in the case of Ezra Levant, like in the case of Weinstein, they're treated as heroes for pushing back back against a an agenda that is a jew agenda. Zionism equals racism is another older example i think of intersectional jewing that i've never really dug deeply into but i can say a few words about it the um, bds movement is probably the best known example of the ongoing sort of echo of of the zionism equals racism thing that that traces that specific phrase traces back to uh, some effort made by, I think, the Arab and Muslim countries through the UN to declare that Zionism is racism, that the uh, ethno-state, that the Jew state in, in the Middle East was an example of colonialism and, and ethnic cleansing and so forth. And it was a good uh, example of the first uh, serious blowback of uh, the Jews pretending to be white and at the same time pretending that what whites do is evil. And so therefore you can criticize the Jews for basically being Nazis, trying to create a uh, racially pure state in Israel. And that was beaten back. That was uh, the Jews were uh, able to, I don't know the exact machinations of it, but uh, they were able to get that killed in the U.N., uh, but it lives on today. It echoes on in, in the form of the uh, BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that is very popular in, um, or, or it's most popular, I should say, in, in universities on campuses where there are uh, Palestinians and other Arabs. Uh, and the more of them there are, the more powerful this uh, movement becomes. But, th- you know, the final... uh uh, measure of again the the victim, uh, the progressive stack, the victim hierarchy, is that the Jews have been able to uh, counter this BDS movement, this this effort to boycott, uh, to get university um, administration to divest and boycott Israel, to not do business with Israel, not send any money to Israel, um, is that they've been able, they've gone above the university. Uh, administrations to the state legislatures and to the federal government and convinced, this is organized jury now, has convinced these higher powers to pass laws that, uh, effectively, uh, sanction and boycott the people who try to boycott or sanction Israel. So, uh, you, you see again who's on top of this uh, victim hierarchy who's who's the number one victim is uh, the Jews another example in uh, current news is the shut it down uh, on college campuses of uh, right leaning conservative type people like uh, specifically I'm thinking of Charles Murray and uh, Heather McDonald who have been uh, in, uh, places like Drudge or Fox News, you'll hear these stories about how they've been shouted down and prevented from speaking on university campuses. And, um especially in, in, uh, Charles Murray's case, this is an example of, again, the, the, uh, white science, uh, conflicting now, uh, challenging the, uh, the Jew anti-racist narrative. Uh, but uh what 's interesting about both murray and and mcdonald and other speakers like this is they 're very milk toast they're they 're very harmless basically uh they're just really trying to say the most um blase uh things that uh to defend reality what what uh has actually been uncovered. In, in Heather McDonald's case, I think it has more, more to do with uh, criminal statistics. Uh, in, in Murray's case, it has to do with uh, IQ being uh, heritable and, and genetically based more so than, than uh, the Jew narrative has allowed for in the past. Uh, and the other point I'd like to make about both of them is, and others like them, is that they have lots of Jew friends who come to their defense, very much like Weinstein and, and uh Ezra Levant and, and these other people who are treated as heroes in uh, the case of Murray and, and McDonald, they're not treated like heroes, but they're kind of defended because Jews see themselves as next in line. I mean, once, once uh, the identity politics and uh, uh, intersectional uh, identity politics on campus succeeds in shouting down people like McDonald and, um, murray then the next in line are these jews that like to pose as liberals they'll be uh shouted down next and so they're getting a little bit alarmed by that and that's why they're uh beginning to try and push back even though it's not really in in the case of uh um, people like murray and mcdonald it's not they're not jews and they're not even saying something that uh is in line with the original jewing agenda but uh jews still see the uh potential threat to themselves Another recent thing that I I did write extensively about was uh, the Rachel Dolezal, and uh, more recently uh, Rebecca Tuval incident. Uh, again, on Tuval was on campus. She was writing about Rachel Dolezal. Dolezal was uh, that white woman who has been posing as black for a decade or more, working for the NAACP, and uh, it it uh, the news on that broke she was revealed because she had been crying about uh, being a victim of hate and um I I forget exactly how it came out that she was actually born white, had white parents and everything. Uh and had just frizzed up her hair and got uh extra tan. Um Tuval Rebecca Tuval is uh some feminist philosopher. I didn't know there was such a thing until uh her story broke. Um this was just a month or two ago she wrote a paper about um basically revisiting the the, the Dulles result what what ended up happening at the time was that people said oh this trans idea of transracialism is just crazy um, in the news at the same time was um uh, Bruce Jenner having uh gone transsexual that he was going to transgender that he was going to change into a woman and he was going to have surgery to do it and all, you know whatever he was going to put dresses on and so people said um if if gender can change into a different sex, why can't Rachel Dolezal, since they're both social constructs, according to the Jew narrative, uh why is one allowed and the other one is ridiculous well the the reality is both are ridiculous, both are biologically based, and it's especially obvious in the case of sex or gender that that uh, you literally have to remove parts." From somebody to change them from one thing to the other, and you can't really change the X and Y uh, chromosomes uh, that are inside every one of your cells in your body, uh, and that really is the root of whether you're a man or a woman. And in the case of race, race is biologically based, and and it's equally ridiculous. Uh, but there was this disparity in uh, this sort of a conflict in the in the narrative in the Jew narratives about these things, and. Uh, Rebecca Tuval wrote about it. She wrote a paper, basically the opposite of what I just said. She said, "Well, if one makes sense, then the other should make sense too, and we should welcome people who are transracial and the The jew response to that uh was first of all to come to her defense because she was uh attacked by non whites by the niggers basically in philosophy that uh whatever number there are there uh, people of color that um uh were offended by this. They don't like the idea of whites turning into blacks and getting all the benefits of being black. Uh They see that as appropriation, whatever, as, uh, as dishonest, as a lie, as it is. Um, and so they attacked Toole. They demanded an apology. They demanded a retraction. And uh, what ended up happening in the end, I think, was a whole lot of nothing. The publishers of the magazine uh, apologized at first, but I don't think... Uh, Tuval was ever sanctioned. And a lot of people, again, like Weinstein, like, um, uh, Ezra Levant, like, uh, you know, got a, a mysterious amount of sympathy and support from the media, from, uh, uh, other academics. And it turns out, especially in Tuval's case, it was a lot of Jews, basically, who came, uh, to her defense. And, um, in the end, I don't think anything really happened to her, uh, even though the position that she put forth was not the standard, uh, Jew line on it. And what I pointed out uh, at the time about that was that a lot of the, uh, Jews that were responding, and particularly this, uh, one Jew, uh, Phoebe Maltz Bo- Bovey, uh, who is sort of a specialist on the fault line between Jews and whites and this whole clash of narratives that, that Jews are white and whites are evil and so forth, uh, the, the Jew, the privilege, the white privilege, clash, that uh, if whites are privileged and Jews are white, then, then Jews are privileged too. And they have Jew privilege. And uh, anyway, uh, she her argument was that transracialism is just non-existent. As, as rare as transgenderism is, transracialism is just never happens. I mean, except for Rachel Dolezal. And the funny thing about that was I think she understands that Jews actually are transracial. This is the trick that I've been pointing out for years this what's called Crypsis, uh passing as white uh, that's basically the idea of transracialism is just a new name for what used to be in the in the past and sometimes still is called passing it's pre, you know pretending to be something that you're not and in the case of Jews pretending to be white people is what they've been doing for centuries millennia they they infiltrate. Say, hey, we're just like you. We're you know uh, we're no different than Germans. You know, so you can't exclude us from Germany. And uh, this is a pattern of behavior that they've been uh, doing. It's a, it's sort of a key to how they do what they do. It's not everything that they do. That there are Jews who Jew openly as Jews, uh, but a lot of what goes on, uh, a lot of the most, and it's hard to say how significant it is. How how uh much of it is is this because it is hidden uh it's it 's unknown but uh I think one thing that 's safe to say is it's it 's more significant than most people appreciate another concept or uh, a phrase i 've used uh, in the last uh year or so is alt jew and the alt jews media, and uh, by that I mean these um supposedly reactionary or or uh these these people who rise up and they've got criticism of the current system they want to you know they they present themselves as dissidents of the of the current system one of the best and recent examples of this is a, a whole group of people that actually gave themselves a name was neo reaction which um back at at the time that was going on i remember calling them uh, jrx rather than nrx Because what I noticed was, and and what I called it at the time, was the Jude reaction to Jewing, which is basically this intersectional Jewing. It's, uh, again, (laughs) I saw that as a pattern then, but I didn't really put it together with all of these other things that were going on. I see it now in retrospect, how it's connected, and I even described it in very similar terms, the Jude reaction to Jewing. Because, and that's why I call it alt-Jew, is is the system, the current system is Jewed. Top to bottom, end to end, it's Jews calling the shots. And what these alt-Jew people want is they just want to tweak the system in some way. They don't like this or that aspect of it. They don't like being forced to live with niggers next door or Muslims. But they don't have a problem with Jews. And they don't want to see Jews removed from power. So they're just alt-Jew. Jonathan Haidt is a Jew. He's uh, in academia, a social psychologist, talks about morality a lot. He's uh, created an organization called the Heterodox Academy. Another one of these uh, intersectional Jews, like Oster, like Ezra Levant, likes to posture as if he's like a voice of reason, a voice of sanity, wants to present himself as in the middle. He is... Trying to juiceplain why, what's gone wrong, and what we should do about it. He's going around uh, the last year or so giving talks at uh, universities, and nobody, nobody's uh, preventing him from speaking. The, the, I, I linked it on one of the recent uh, blog posts I made. Uh, one of the sp- speeches he gave, I think. Uh, eight or nine months ago in, uh, at Duke University. Uh, and I have here some text that describes uh, a very similar talk, same, same basic plot lines. Um and let me just read it so you get the gist of it. He says, uh, when I went to Yale in 1981, it said above the main gate, lux et veritas, light and truth. We are here to find truth. Hate says, or, Height, I think, is actually how his name is pronounced. I always pronounce it hate in my mind. Um, Jonathan Haidt says as he paces the stage at the Students for Liberty Conference in Washington, quote, this is our heritage all the way back to Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, unquote. The Jews, of course, at the time were antagonistic to the Greeks. Uh, so, you know, this is an example, our heritage, this is an example of uh, Jews using their, the, playing games with identity and who we are. Um, but the pursuit, he continues here, but the pursuit of truth is being supplanted by a new mission, he warns, the pursuit of social justice. He paraphrases Marx, quote, the point is not to understand the world, the point is to change it. This is, uh this was true in the talk I saw him give at uh, at Duke. He describes this transition from a society or a philosophy of, of universities, of basically white and, and stretching back for centuries, if not millennia, um as opposed to what's happening today, which is basically the dominance of the Jew agenda and the Jew narrative, which of course Haidt doesn't refer to as Jewish. In fact, he goes out of his way to basically describe it as anything but that. He, um, he he clicks to reveal a slide that's titled, The Six Sacred Groups. The big three, according to Height, are blacks, women, and LGBT. The other three, in another slide, are Latinos, Native Americans, and disability. The list of sacred victims, he says, is growing. Among the newly sacrosanct are Muslims, Transgender, and Black Lives Matter. This is very similar, very reminiscent of what Oster was doing a decade ago. Uh, telling these stories about this victim hierarchy and just writing the Jews out of it, leaving the, the, uh, architects and the, and the, the template for the whole thing out of it. And the, finally, the, uh, the most recent item that's come up in the news, and I'm sure there'll be many more in, into the future, uh, because this is not, uh, this is a long time brewing, uh, this, uh, Jew agenda of decades and decades now. And, uh, this, this need to push back on it in certain ways that impinge on Jews is just going to continue. It's maybe even going to get worse, more obvious. Uh, but the most recent example from the news is this Dykes versus Kikes thing is some march in Chicago, some feminist march where, um somebody with a rainbow flag with a, Star of David on it was asked to take it off or leave because the Star of David was seen as a symbol of oppression. And, uh, the Jews flipped out about that. And one of the best examples of an intersectional Jew, what I, I think of as the, uh, so sort of intersectional Jewing personified came from, uh, Jamie Kirchick, who's a, a homosexual Jew who likes to posture as if he's a Republican. Of course, that was true up until Trump uh, became the nominee, and he flipped out. Kirch uh, flipped out about that, and uh, you know became one of the most strident uh, never-Trumpers. Uh, he's hysterical, basically, which is not really surprising for a homosexual or a Jew. But you know, you put the two of those together, and you get somebody who's especially hysterical. Uh, in the article, um, I'm not going to bother reading anything about what he had to say about it. But uh, you know, basically, it. it it comes through pretty clearly that, um, but although indirectly, he complains about it as if Jews are now being at, at the bottom of the the uh, pyramid, they're or at the bottom of the hierarchy, that they're being treated like dirt. You know, and the reality is is that uh, they're at the top. That the whole reason he's able to write an article complaining about it is because he sees himself at the top. The 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 uh, he has the authority as a Jew to say. The, how things should be structured uh one of the phrases that came out of um this incident though that i ran across for the first time was called pinkwashing which is this idea that um jews and and israelis celebrate uh, homosexuality as in an attempt to uh i don't know uh, cover up their their other dastardly deeds the ethnic cleansing of palestinians for instance the the things that they're doing uh, in Israel, I thought that was interesting that they they call that pinkwashing because it reminded me of the, the term whitewashing, which I've been using since the beginning of the, uh, I think, just before Trump's inauguration, when I noticed that, uh, you know, all of these Jews screeching about what a white supremacist, white nationalist, neo-Nazi Trump is and his administration, Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller and all these other people uh, in the Trump administration. Uh, it was just so insane uh, what I realized is that, like most of the time when Jews screech about anti-Semitism, it's to cover up their own crimes. They screech about being harmed themselves, collectively, in order to distract attention from the fact that they're screwing other people, that they're harming other people. And in this case, you've got the Trump administration, which is more conservative than anything ever in the past, any previous president. Trump is over-the-top supportive of Jews and deferential to Jews and doing whatever they tell him to do, basically. Uh, and this calling him a white nationalist, racist, neo-Nazi bigot uh, in in such an over-the-top way is is a way of whitewashing all of the Jews around Trump Jewing so intensely. So I saw that also here in this dykes versus kikes uh, thing the the dykes when they were criticized by jews for ejecting the star of david flag uh they had it. they made an official uh response and an official statement in response to that criticism and it reads in part zionism is an inherently white supremacist ideology It is based on the premise that Jewish people have a God-given entitlement to the lands of historic Palestine and the surrounding areas. This ideology has been used to justify dozens of laws that discriminate against Palestinian citizens of Israel, segregated road systems in the West Bank, and forced removal of Palestinian families from their homes in order to make way for Jewish-only housing, among other violent and discriminatory practices we recognize that Zionism is not synonymous with Judaism, but instead represents an ideology that uses legacies of Jewish struggle to justify violence. That phrase, legacies of Jewish struggle, is basically an acknowledgment that Jews are the template, the creators of this victim hierarchy. They are the first and foremost victims. And and a couple of things about this. First of all, the, the Zionism being an inherently white supremacist ideology, it seems like a non-sequitur. What does this have to do with white people? This is about Jews, and even the dykes writing this paragraph of text know that it's about Jews, and they're listing all of these things that Jews are doing in Israel as their example of white supremacist ideology. What it has to do with white people is it's whitewashing. It's an example of basically saying that what Jews are doing is bad because they're white people, or under the guise that they're white. Is is a way that critics of Jews feel able to criticize Jews. They can express their criticism of Jews as long as they pretend that the Jews are white and that the criticism is based on their whiteness or being like white people. So that's how whitewashing works. It's a it's it's a two uh, there's two sides to it. The Jews use it basically. They posture as white to um, cover up some dirty deed that they're doing but then also critics of Jews who would otherwise not be able to criticize the Jews as Jews can get away with criticizing them to a certain extent as long as they pretend that they're actually criticizing white people you see this in Hollywood too white or the occupy wall street uh thing uh movement that uh, also you know pretended that wall street is run by white people or that hollywood is run by white people you know, in reality, of course, Zionism is Jew supremacism. That's even a better way of putting it than than uh, calling it racism. As I said, the, the term racism is inherently anti-white. It's it's a term that's only really used against white people. Uh, that's the politics of that term. And Jew supremacism, you could say, supremacism is also inherently white, although they always try to qualify it by calling it white supremacism. So by calling it Jew supremacism, I think that really gets at what it is. I mean, and Zionism is not just nationalism for Jews. A lot of white nationalists seem to um, misunderstand, uh, maybe deliberately. Zionism is something way above and beyond any ordinary nationalism. Uh, what Zionism is, is not just that Israelis get to run their country and have a sovereign country for Jews in Israel. But it also means that Jews have positions of power in every other country on the planet. And if they're somehow barred or prevented from having that, those positions of power or, or even criticized for what they do once they get those positions of power and start directing resources and, uh, directing policies of those other countries to benefit Israel and Jews in Israel, uh, you see the power of Zionism. Those, the people, the critics are the ones who are treated like criminals, not the Jews in your country telling you what you have to do or what funds have to be, uh, sent or what, what country your military has to uh, go invade and punish for the benefit of the Jews in Israel. That's intersectional Jewing. Don't waste your time wondering who is really behind the curtains Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe Europe will not survive. Europe will not survive. Europe will not survive. Don't waste your time wondering who is really behind the curtains now Don't waste your time